is going on, my fellow geeks, and welcome back to Raving Geeks, the weekly pop culture podcast from Central Michigan Life, where we discuss all things geek culture, which is like high culture, but better. If this is your first time joining us, make sure you follow the CM Life Instagram and Twitter pages for updates on the podcast, and look for us wherever you find your podcasts, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on our website at www.cm-life.com. My name is Brendan Valentine, coming to you from the Arrow Cave, and I would like to thank you for joining me and my fellow co-hosts this week, who will introduce themselves in a second with our question of the week. Um, I will introduce myself. As I said, I am Brendan Valentine. And our question of the week is, um, who would win in a fight, Godzilla or King Kong, and why? Um, My answer is King Kong, um, simply because I take intelligence uh, in a fight like as like the number one thing to win like obviously Godzilla is more powerful but I think Kong is just powerful enough and has the intelligence factor to beat Godzilla um I'll pass it on to our regular co-host of the week uh Hope hi everyone so I'm Hope Goodrow um who would win it I would also pick King Kong um because I feel like he's survived so much already that why wouldn't he beat Godzilla? And I would also like to add that there was a YouTube poll from Movie Clips Trailers uh, asking this very question. And 60% of the 97,000 votes said that King Kong would win. And only 40% of those votes said Godzilla. So I think people agree with us. Nice. Um, And now... We will have our uh, guest this week. I'm very excited to uh, introduce my friend Zane, um, who I have known for a few years. He used to be my roommate. Um, and I'm very excited to have him on the podcast today. So uh, Zane, do you want to introduce yourself and answer our question? Yeah, hi, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Zane Ozello, and I'm already gonna take a bit of a turn here and I'm going to be picking Godzilla to defeat King Kong. Um, I have a few reasons first. Um, he definitely has the strength factor and everything. Like he's got more powers. Um, he has been tried by the forges of nuclear um, waste. And if we look back to the times of the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs reigning supreme over primates at that point. So I think we also have a bit of historical evidence to support that. If we would like to call that historical evidence. Um, I can definitely respect that argument. Um, however, I still say monkey wins. Uh, <laughs> I always respect monkey. Yes. Uh, all right. Thank you very much to our, our regular co-host and our guest. Um, so to get started, like we normally do, we're just going to share some quick uh, geek news. So Hope, do you have anything exciting for us going on in the world of pop culture this week? I do. I have only one piece of information. Um, Zack Snyder released uh, images for the Justice League like um, movie poster. And so Justice League will premiere on HBO Max on the 18th of March. So we get to look forward to that and I'm excited. Oh wait, really? That's coming that soon? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I was like, oh wow, that's fast. I'm so excited. I thought, that was, I thought that was gonna be like a 2022 thing. That's dope. All right, I have two pieces of uh, news this week. Uh, the first one is related to our opening question, but uh, the trailer for Kong versus Godzilla did get released. And I have never been into like the big kaiju movies. Uh, the only one that I ever like watched and really enjoyed was Pacific Rim. Um, but this one looks really, really good. 
just from the trailer. And it's not, not that like Kong Skull Island and uh, Godzilla King of Monsters didn't look good, but I don't know. This one, this one just hits different a little bit from the trailer. And also, as I'm sure um, many of you have heard, this takes a little bit of a departure from our normal news. But um, in the world of stocks and finances, um, GameStop stock shot up by over a thousand percent over the last few weeks. Um, which is awesome because um, I owned GameStop stock for a while and then sold it a few months ago. Um, Bad not move, a personal apparently. Note. Yeah, that one hurt. Um, however, the, the whole story behind that is like people from Reddit got, uh, got a hold of some uh, information that the Wall Street people were betting on GameStop to lose. So they bet that it would win. And now... Um, the rich Wall Street hedge fund managers now lost like billions of dollars, apparently, which um, I just think is really funny. I think it's a, a hilarious joke. Um, I love the internet. So um, that is it for my news. So transitioning into our main topic of the week, and the reason I asked Zane to be on this podcast episode um, is... If any of you are fans of the CW network, specifically the uh, what is known as the Arrowverse amongst the geek community, um, the shows that were cut off early last season and have been delayed until what would normally be the mid-season of the 2020-2021 um, TV year have started premiering. So we just wanted to give a quick overview of those shows um, and some other CW shows as well. Um, just give our thoughts on where we hope the new season is going to go, uh, what we thought of the end of the last season, and um, just some some fun conversation about the Arrowverse in general. So, Hope, I know you are not as into the Arrowverse shows as Zane and I, but you have more information on the non-Arrowverse CW shows. Is there anywhere you want to start? Um, well, so Nancy Drew has premiered um the next season and so we're going back in with the igleka that was tormenting the drew crew um we are also dealing with the surprise of who nancy's real parents are i will not come out and say that because i feel like that's a big plot twist for people and if they haven't watched the season um just know that it is not the original characters like the um can't remember their names but you know those who gave nancy drew her name nancy drew are not her actual parents um and so seeing what the igleka is doing to torment the drew crew is going to be very interesting especially because yes question yes. what's the igleka okay for so those of us not familiar with the drew crew the igleka is a spirit that there was a um, essentially like legend that if you went into the water um, surrounding the town um, and asked the Igleka for something, or like if you looked in the mirror on a certain day, you could ask the Igleka for um, something. And the idea was that she was supposed to give it to you. Um, so she is a spirit and the Igleka also essentially asks for something in return before she gives you what you wished for. And if you don't um, give her what she wants, then she essentially comes to take your life and kill you. 
Um, and so there is some mystery about what the Igleka actually is, if she's just a random spirit, or if she was a spirit, like a human first, who then was killed. And so she's essentially a vengeful spirit. Um, and so the Drew crew had asked her for help um, in season one, and then she wanted the blood of a certain character um, and they were like, no, we're not killing him. And so basically angered the Igleka. And so, yeah, we get to deal with the Igleka and Nancy uh, dealing with who her real parents are and all that. Yes. So quick question. Um, is this in any way related to like the shared universe of Riverdale and the chilling adventures of Sabrina? Because it sounds like it would fit right in. I haven't seen them do like any crossovers, but it's definitely a darker story um, of Nancy Drew than like what we're used to, um, especially with the Emma Roberts movie like 10 years ago now. Um, actually, probably more than 10 years ago. Just weird to think about. Well, um, I just I know like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Riverdale haven't necessarily had like a crossover, but like yeah. they mentioned the town of Riverdale and Sabrina. So I was just wondering if they had those nods to it because they sound very... They sound like they have the same vibes and would fit together. Yeah, I I haven't heard anything, or if I did, it just didn't spark in my mind, like connect that that's what they're talking about. Um, but I, yeah, I know Riverdale is also coming back on. Um, and I will be honest and say that, like, I haven't kept up with Riverdale as much because I've kind of gotten annoyed with some characters. Um, and I'll also be completely honest and say that I have not watched The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, so. I know Zane has. Zane? Yes, I like it very much. Um, so have you heard anything that might connect Chilling Adventures of Sabrina with any of the other, like, CW shows? I know Riverdale has had a connection, but do you have any reason to suspect Nancy Drew might be involved too? For sure it's connected to Riverdale, but that's also because they're both ran by Archie Comics. So they already have that shared. Um, but I mean, I'll be the first to admit I've not at all been engaged in Nancy Drew in the slightest, so I wouldn't know. It definitely sounds like it has that darker tone that's characteristic of the Chilean Adventures of Sabrina along with Riverdale. So I think it's possible, but I haven't heard anything because I don't watch Riverdale either, but having watched all of the Chilean Adventures of Sabrina, I heard nothing that would necessarily lend to thinking it's related to Nancy Drew, based on my knowledge. Interesting. Well, um, if anyone, any listeners are fans of any one of those individual shows, um, we would recommend the other two, uh, just because they seem to have similar vibes. Yeah, I will definitely say that um, Riverdale has, its, or not Riverdale, Nancy Drew has its drama, but Riverdale has so much more drama. So if you really like drama, I would definitely suggest Riverdale in that aspect um, because there is a lot of like relationships and not just like, you know, um, romantic relationships, like relationships with parents and um, like teachers and siblings. And so like your typical CW drama, exactly. like the, it's, it's well-rounded in who uh, is upset with whom. Yes. Got it. Um, any other non-Arrowverse related shows? Uh, I know you were excited about Walker coming out too. Yes. Um, 
I unfortunately did not get to watch the second episode because I was not able to access live TV at that time. Um, but that is on my watch list for today or tomorrow because the first episode like set up the entire series so nicely. And I know like a lot of people are like, well, Walker, Texas Ranger had um, uh, Chuck. Chuck Norris. Norris. Thank you. I was Nolan. I was like, Nolan is not right. Chuck no, Norris. Christopher Nolan, the director. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and how Chuck Norris was like a lot of like Kung Fu karate stuff um, because it is Jared Padalecki and he was on Supernatural, which of course is my background because I loved that show. Um, it's not as much that way, but it's more grounded in like real life stuff. So you've got Cartel. Um, because it is in Texas, so you've got cartel, um, and also the fact that his Jared Padalecki's real life wife, um, Jen Padalecki, is playing his fictional wife and gets murdered in the first episode, um, and hearing Jared Padalecki's like torment, you just know that he was like, you have to be on set when I film this scene because I need to know that you're actually alive and not actually dead. Um, and so that broke my heart completely. Um, but it is, it's so good. And like, I have so many questions that's keeping me intrigued. Like if certain characters are connected to the death of his wife and, mm. um, and like watching the relationship between his kids, um, and him as it comes on, because like, uh, you know, it was one of those that their mother was murdered and then he essentially went undercover for a while, mm -hmm. for a few months, like 10 months. And his kids are teenagers. And so his daughter's like, we needed you. We lost our mom and then we lost our dad too. So there's that like tension of, is that relationship going to be able to be rebuilt? And then the son who's like, no dad, everything's fine and it's great. And you're like, honey, you're hurting, and I don't want you to break. So that's going to be interesting to see if that happens. It's not just, like, the, the old kung fu movies. It's also got, like, that family down. Nice. Also, the CW, like, casting real-life couples as, like, couples in a show mm -hmm. happens so much, and it's really – it's not weird, but it happens – like, once you realize that it happens, like, in every show, mm -hmm. it's like, why, why do you do this every time? Like, I feel like the producers are, like, super, like – uncomfortable with making other people not kiss their spouse so they just cast their spouse like well, also, i feel like part of it's like if they're like gonna have it where the characters are gonna be in pain because something happens to their spouse that like it's more authentic if it's your real spouse so i Good feel point. like i just think it's funny of... yeah i also think that because like the cw tends to have more of a limited budget i think it might be easier to draw on actors that are like obligated to join because of you know the the marital ties so i think it's easier to because like i mean we've seen an arrowverse where they won't always pair them as couples they just bring them in as other characters and it just yeah. mm -hmm. it just fills a need the big ones that pop into my head were supergirl uh where with cara and monel like uh the yeah. actors are married um with yeah. legends of tomorrow brandon routh um and oh what's her name that plays nora dark yes Courtney Ford um and but they're married um 
But also, um, uh, Stephen Amell's wife came in as a villain in the crossover. So, yes. so that's like an example of where they just bring them in. <laughs> or like exactly. Robbie Amell coming in in Flash. Oh yeah, <laughs> after Stephen Amell, Amell like has this like long-standing thing. It's like, oh, we're going to cast his cousin as Firestar. Yeah. Which, exactly. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I was like, this is his brother. And then I looked it up. I was like, they're cousins. But they have so many mannerisms and like facial expressions that I'm like, you have to be brothers, not cousins. Come on. Mm-hmm. And wasn't te- Robbie Amell technically on the CW before Stephen Amell with the Tomorrow People? Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So, um, well, and the other thing to- about couples, oh, yeah. really quick with Supernatural, because um, Jared Padalecki actually met his wife on Supernatural when she was playing a demon. And um, in one of the early seasons, like season three or four, I think. Um, so it was interesting for that but then also in like season 14 or 15 they had Daniil Ackles who is Jensen Ackles wife come in so when like Jensen Ackles when Dean was taken over by um, Michael they had Daniil come in and so you know just going off with the wife and everything so I thought you know that was it's definitely a trope of the CW to just like Mm -hmm. cast their spouse but um, yeah. moving on to the Arrowverse shows, only one of them has technically premiered so far, but we've gotten some some interesting tidbits on some of the other shows. So we're going to start with the one that's premiered, which is Batwoman. Um, and the biggest thing about this second season of the show is the um, actress who played Batwoman in season one um, decided to leave the show. Yep. Um, so instead of Ruby Rose as Kate Kane's Batwoman, they uh, recast the main role, but did not um, like keep the same main character. Like Kate Kane is no longer the main character of Batwoman. She is no longer Batwoman. Now we have Javica Leslie's character who is playing Batwoman is, and is a very different type of hero. So um, Zane, I wanted to ask you specifically, what do you think of the, like the shift, the change between Ruby Rose to Javica Leslie as Batwoman? Well, so first off, I would like to kind of touch on, like, the transition, like, from a plot standpoint. Um, it was really interesting. Um, so first, obviously, spoilers to the episode. But uh, essentially, there's just a plane crash. And the plane is returning from National City. And But the thing is, we find out that Kate Kane is supposed to be on that plane. And so first off, we know that she was in National City which tells us that she might have been with Supergirl. So my first thought is maybe we'll hear more about like what was going on in Supergirl, what happened might've happened to our Kate Kane. So that's always something that we can leave in the air kind of there. But we find at that point, we then find Ryan Wilder finds the bat suit and she decides she's going to take that to avenge the death of her adopted mother. And so right off the bat, I, I love the theme of um, the revenge because I think, when you're dealing with a bat character, so in this case, a bat woman, revenge always tends to be a comfortable theme to fit them in because it's vengeance, that kind of dark grittiness. And so I think that's always a good way to fuel her. But one of the things that I'm actually really liking about her character is there's more of a, I don't want to say joy, but there's a certain, a different kind of uh, lightness to the way she is that Kate Kane didn't have. Like, I think Kate yeah, Kane was a that. very good character. Like, I don't get, like, don't get me wrong at all. I thought that was very good casting. and I thought she was very entertaining. 
but I like this interesting dynamic, but, and I think her, I'm interested to hear more about like her quote unquote credentials to be Batwoman because all we know right now is she's a martial arts teacher. Like she has a martial arts training. And so that's like her claim to it. And, but she doesn't know how to work the bat suit, which why would you? Um, and so that's very interesting, but I'm very interested to see how we end up feeding off of the dynamics of last season because season one was so heavily um, intertwined with the family dynamics of Kate Kane with her dad, with Alice. And because of the, especially lending to the fact that um, that season was cut short abruptly due to COVID-19, mm-hmm. how this is going to go? Because like now all of a sudden we have a new Batwoman that's working with Luke Cox, who was, you know, a friend of Kate Kane. We're with um, Kate Kane's adoptive sister. And we're now all of a sudden there's this new dynamic with her father. There's what, what's going to be driving Alice in terms of like a villainy standpoint, because before it was that dynamic with the family, but now what 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 is going to be Alice's relevance with a Batwoman that isn't her sister, you know? Yes, and I know you haven't watched episode two yet. We talked about this before the podcast, but they they already are starting to answer those questions. And like, it's okay. right off the bat. They're not like going like, oh, whatever. Um, this We're just going to completely redefine it. I The thing I've liked a lot is they're really embracing like this, Kate Kane is gone, but... Yeah, in a way that makes it seem like if Ruby Rose wanted to come back, they totally could bring her back as Batwoman and have Kate King come back. Um, it's very up in the air. Even though, like we as like an audience know, like Ruby Rose is not going to be Batwoman in universe. It's very like convoluted. That could be something that, um, like you said, comes up in Supergirl. It could come back in Batwoman. It could come up in like a crossover, like what happened to Kate Kane, um, like a whole like. <laughs> CW Justice League coming together like, well, we lost one of our members. Let's find her. Oh, only one. Only one. Oh, we lose. All, we lose all of them all the time. Especially like last year, we just lost so many people. I mean, to be fair though, CW shows have a habit of being like, this person's dead. Psych, we brought him back. So- well, the thing is too, they weren't even like, this person's dead. They're like, is Kate alive? Is Kate dead? Like. Does Kate, yeah, just is Kate still Batwoman? No, but one thing that I found really interesting in the episode, uh, specifically in the season premiere, again, spoilers, but Alice explained her whole plan to kill Kate. And I was like, I, my theory is that Ruby Rose told the producers like way back in like December, November or December of like back with, before they'd finished filming even like the the middle part of the second half of the season that she doesn't want to come back. And I had a, I have a feeling they were going to kill her off. Like that was the plan for the end of season one. You had hush coming in as Bruce Wayne, which allowed him to get in there. Like Alice had the perfect plan to have um, like the crows corner Batwoman and have Kate's father kill her, pull off the mask and realize he just killed his own daughter. I thought they had the guts to do that. Which is and then we never it. That would have been insane. And that's but the perfect, um, it's like the perfect thing for Alice's character. Because, I, I, I mean, I, Alice is one of the best characters I've seen in a while. In, in that, but it's, it's so interesting because she's so mentally unstable, but she has such a strong feelings about her family. And moreover, she does care deeply for Kate Kane. 
but at the same, because like we can see the way that she's looked for her. She doesn't, she doesn't want to kill herself. Like that's the example. Like she doesn't, she's mad, but she doesn't want to kill herself. And in her own way, in episode one, we see her in a full black outfit with the veil, black lace veil over her face. Like she's clearly in a morning outfit. Like it's such a strange dynamic, but the juxtaposition of her being in that and then her saying at the same time, she's talking about how she wanted to have their father kill his daughter and find out that he killed the daughter. It's such, it's such a one amazing writing by the CW and the way that they depicted the scene, but also that's such a good plan. Like how else, what better way to stick it to your father who wouldn't find you after you were taken away, you know, like if, I thought it was amazing. And then the implications for how that would have impacted season two as well. Like um, having the arc of if at like, if Alice is still around in season two, like where does she go from here? Like she, she won. Yeah. Like, how does she feel after that? And then the whole like dynamic with the crows and like hit with, uh, Jacob being like the director and you're like oh crap I killed my daughter where do I go from here like do 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 I still feel like I can command the crows like I was very blind and I wasn't able to see clearly through the situation and that caused me to murder my child um, and then everything with like Sophie would have found out that bat like Kate Kane was Batwoman not through the letter that she gets in season two, but from Kate dying and have, having the cowl like peeled off of her by her boss, which is also her dad. And I think that would have just made the dynamic and especially with Ryan Wilder coming in as Batwoman, I feel like it would have been like a whole thing with like um, primarily Luke, but also like the whole like Bat squad um, of like, is it okay to replace Kate? Cause right now it feels like it's out of necessity, but if that would have been how it would have ended, it would have been like, is this too soon? Because we don't have a necessity for Batwoman. People know Batwoman's dead. She doesn't have to come back. Should we let this happen? So I yeah. thought that would have been really interesting. Um, I want overall, to... oh yeah, go for it. Really quick. Um, so my dad and I were actually talking about this because I had actually gotten really upset that Ruby Rose was like, hey, you know, one season. Yeah, it's fun, but see ya. Same year. Um, I really enjoyed her. Well, come to find out, she got injured during a stunt. Yeah. And so that's probably the biggest reason why she decided to quit. And so you talk about like mid season, the directors knowing that like she wanted to leave is very likely because if it was like they filmed the stunt and then she got hurt and then after she was like, guys, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because like my life is more important than doing, you know, stunts. Um, that maybe that's something that they were also thinking about because if they're bringing in a new person and her only background for being for being able to be Batwoman is martial arts, maybe it's like they're trying to be more conscientious about like their actors and trying to keep their actors safe. I feel and like then, Jevica Leslie, um, I don't know what her actual background is, but I, yeah. and I don't know if um, sh like for the, um, like stunts on set how much of those she's doing and how much doubles doing well i think that goes into what zane was saying about low budget for cw um because i know with like supernatural a lot of the stunts were done by you know the actors themselves but i also mm -hmm. know that with like other shows like um on nbc like chicago pd had done their own stunts but then a couple other actors got like seriously injured and they're like nope we need stunt doubles 
So I think they're probably going to try and bring in stunt doubles. So they might get going more with more action and like trying to get um, the new Batwoman to be like more. Right now, the stunts seem kind of like comedic because she doesn't know like how the Batsu works. She doesn't know how to use yeah. the grappling hook. She, like all of the landings look really bad. <laughs> like, and you it can really tell that they're kind of like playing off of it. And I feel like that's <laughs> going to be a recurring joke this season. It's like, what does this button do? And then like something like yeah, weird. Like Mm -hmm. um the nice thing i also think that definitely because another thing uh ruby rose commented on is how she didn't realize how grueling the schedule was and that's one of the things that like because not only do you commit to when you commit to the Arrowverse, you're committing to your own show main character so that's recurring but they do it in these large swaths of just filming both one time at one time they have the break and another break but you're committing to um other shows because of your crossovers like it's essentially worked in but also the thing is, like you said, the, because of this, a lot of these actors aren't necessarily like high level. Like Ruby Rose was probably the highest level actor they brought in it up to that point. But like you talk about other ones, like this is their chance to really get big. Like Stephen Amell trained with a boat to make it look more believable mm -hmm. as the as Arrow because he wanted, you know. And so I think when you have characters like this that are invested like wholeheartedly like this and putting in this much time, you find them very much ingrained with their characters, but if you end up getting hurt, if you, that just, you end up getting hurt, you have these long schedules. I don't blame her for leaving at all. Like I'm not saying okay. anybody else is blaming her. It's, if it makes sense, you know, yeah. it's a, it's a large commitment. And I, I think it's a rewarding experience from what a lot of people say, but at the same time, that doesn't always make it worth it you know exactly and then overall i've been very pleased like also i'm not blaming ruby rose at all i like i enjoyed her run on the show but i understand and i respect her decision mm -hmm. however the thing i was worried about was how they transition the show and they've done a oh, really yeah. good job like i've thought it's been phenomenal no. i only have one like issue and that's the relationships between ryan and the other characters uh it feels a little shoehorned but also like if that's the only problem i have no issues the big one that I have an issue with is between her and Mary. They seem way too chummy, like off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat. That was really weird. Like I, I kind of like the like dynamic with Luke, like of how that's going, where like he doesn't trust her, but like recognizes like there's a necessity for Batwoman. But with Mary, it's just weird. Yeah, because the thing is, like obviously Mary's personality is much more uh, outgoing. It's kind of like how they first hear, like how much she wanted to befriend Kate, but we knew she wanted to bring Kate because they were sisters, you know, like that's what they're going at. But you're right. It, I was, I was very worried that they were just like, Oh, there's a residual shockwave from crisis. And now she's changed like something like that, mm -hmm. like really blunt, but this is very well worked. I agree with that. But like you said, it felt like, Oh, new Batwoman. We just, we'll put her in the new Batwoman role and we'll acknowledge she's not the same Batwoman, but we're going to make the relationships with the characters that are like directly helping her as like the bat team mm -hmm. we're gonna make it just like work out right off the bat but i i anticipate that maybe in a few episodes there's gonna be like a big schism point where they have a large argument that'll be kind of that'll maybe level things off and make it more realistic but i agree with you there brendan mm -hmm. that's that's my one issue uh, the the thing that i think the cw has more recently kind of figured out is they've always had like this kind of like relevancy political kind of agenda in a lot of their shows but they've always kept it really subtle until around like supergirl season three to season four um and yeah, then that, really was like 
season four just like embraced the whole like you know people used to call her social ju- social justice warrior girl as like an insult but then once they embraced that the show was like exceptionally good and was <laughs> their like, identity like yeah that once they instead of like saying like oh we're just going to comment on it in the background they're like we're going to make this the focus and i think they've kind of done that here instead of saying you know oh we're just going to kind of like subtly change batwoman they're like no this is like a big difference people will be able to tell that you know kate kane was white and ryan wilder was black and like that is a big difference and people will know that she is a different batwoman mm-hmm. um also like i, I know you, ha- you haven't watched um episode two yet zane but like there's literally a line where um uh, they're trying to like there's a protest downtown and they're trying to figure out um, how like Batwoman could show up to like disperse the protest because Alice has this big plan that'll hurt people and then um, Mary's like we'll just have Ryan wear the bat suit and Luke is like that won't work and <laughs> Mary's like why not and he's like she's black and like that's it and I'm like okay thank you for like acknowledging that that is a yeah. difference and then working with it and moving on instead of just saying like oh you know I don't there's no problem like no, they're, they're acknowledging no. it and working with it. And I'm, I like when the CW does that because I think when they take things head on, it usually hits. Because you're aware of what's going on. Like, for example, I'm going to draw it to that Supergirl. Like, once Supergirl hit, like, season four is probably their best season because they embraced what they were going at. They found something that was not only political, but topically political. And it, it really hit well. But if you compare it to the... Um, season before, I can think of two instances where they kind of tried to make it underlined. Like in season three, they started bringing in um, like um, the struggles with like gun violence, like gun control and gun violence, but they weren't embracing at the time. So it felt like while it was a poignant point and it was very important, it it was odd because it was just kind of like wedged in or like occasionally Flash would bring in something like that mm-hmm. where it's a little more based on like topically political and things like that. But because the show isn't like in that vein. It just is very strange. And it seems the CW doesn't know how to like subtly insert them. But if the CW is like, we're going to take it and run with it, they're very good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that they've learned with Supergirl and they've been able to definitely apply it to Batwoman, it sounds like. I think sure. the other thing with Supergirl um, was the CW was still trying to find their footing with that show. Because it started on CBS, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. they were like trying to be like, how do we, you know, maintain season one characters and you know relationships, and how do we also introduce new things? So I think that was, you know, they were slipping and sliding and testing out, and then it took them this long, you know, till season four to just be like, nope, this is what we need to do. We're just not going to try and appease, you know, the original season one and cbs and just that's a really good point i forgot about like how tough that transition was because i didn't watch Mm -hmm. supergirl season one like live i didn't get into it until it was on the cw so that's a really good point um they because they had to change filming sites because they didn't so they took it up to vancouver and that's why um cat grant left is because she didn't want to be in vancouver Mm -hmm. because she wanted to stay filming where she was so that's why they got rid of that and at that point also that's when i really felt like Kara was able to develop because she no longer had that quote-unquote role model like so I definitely think I agree once CW took ownership of it as their own that's when it really started to lift off cool so quick final point on Batwoman does anyone have any really strong hopes or predictions for this current season I I think that um like you were talking about earlier with like um 
having the not well-known actors coming in and playing these iconic characters um i and then having the them um become stronger with their relationship to their character i think that you know they're gonna play on the lightness of the new batwoman of ryan wilder um as well as like keeping it dark because i mean batman universe and like the batwoman and you know that whole thing is a very dark series in general Mm -hmm. um but i think the idea around batwoman is you know they are supposed to bring light and so having the new actress being able to better create a character for herself and like come into her own confidence like i think that's gonna make batwoman even stronger in my opinion that's my prediction all right. Nice. Zane, do you have any anything yet? I know after one episode, it's hard to like pull on like, this is yeah, how I want um, the season to end. But. Um, my biggest, so I don't know how it goes. I mean, I'd like to see, continue to see Alice's growth, like that kind of thing, because, you know, obviously. But the one thing I am kind of a little more interested in is how they're going to continue to handle the whole Bruce Wayne of it all, because now his cousin's gone. So there's less of a need to bring him back as Batman. Like, not even if you bring him back as Batman, but we've also essentially eliminated Bruce Wayne Hush. Ryan Wilder kind of was able to slide that off, if you will. Um, and so we got about two episodes of knowing what Bruce Wayne looks like in the Arrowverse, but we didn't get any Bruce Wayne, which, and you don't necessarily need it, which has been proven by Supergirl and not having Superman right away, you know? But it'll always be something that's, on people's minds, especially because the Bruce Wayne appearance was brought in. And so I'm interested to see if there's going to be something that's a little more towards that in this season, or at the very least, I'd like to see the season address how we'll continue to um, deal with this overarching Wayne Enterprises kind of thing. Like, because Wayne is obviously huge in Gotham, but now we don't have really a strong connecting point to Wayne itself, other than like, Children of Alfred Pennyworth, children who just fought, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm interested I, I, in that. I have a quick question, really I, yeah. quick. Do you think that they would bring in Robin at all and try and connect it that way or no? Um, Dick Grayson, Robin? No. Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, or Damian Wayne? Maybe. Okay. Um, that's actually one of my yeah. predictions is I would like to see kind of an expansion on the Bat family because I think Kate had, you know, the Marine training, like basically did the whole like Batman yeah. arc, like going around the world to figure that out. Ryan doesn't have that. So I feel like bringing in more like Bat characters to kind of build like a team would be really cool. One thing I'm really hoping for is we see Luke Fox as Batwing, where he kind of gets yeah. like his engineer on mm-hmm. and brings that in. Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to like, maybe not Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown or Damian Wayne as Robin, but like, having them make an appearance would be kind of cool just to kind of keep that Batman relevancy. Um, Kind of like how in a, sorry. No, go for it. I was thinking like Dark Knight Rises, it was kind of implied that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character was going to be the Robin, like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Like, I think something like that where you can tell it's inserted, or maybe we hear about, or we start hearing about like Officer Gordon, like Chief Gordon in there, like somehow. So we know that there's like that training so that plants in the mind of his daughter. We get to see things like that. Or maybe because it seems to be a little more in the future, we might see something like a Nightwing appearance, kind of, you know, but. That would be cool. I I, like, I'm down for those appearances, but I don't, you know. Yes, like, 
I'm down for the you appearances. For I'm down to hear from them. I don't want them to take over the show. Mm-hmm. No, because that's the thing you really, because of how iconic these characters are, especially because of Batman, there's nothing like, it was the same worry with bringing Superman to Supergirl. Mm-hmm. How do we do this and not take it away from her? And, and they the did a good is, job. Some would argue, yeah, they did an incredibly good job. So they, I know they have the ability to do it, but some would argue that Batman's an even bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. So you want to be even more careful with that. Mm-hmm. I think um, and my last, oh, sorry, Hope. Oh, um, I was going to say, I think personally that they're not going to bring in Batman until they have a solid person to play Batman. They already have the actor. Well, true, but like, yeah. you know how like they're doing with Supergirl and then now they have the Superman and Lois series coming out? Oh, like I think I can see that, yeah. like doing something like that. Um, um, and I don't know, I'm kind of one of those, like I know Gotham was Fox, but it might be interesting to see like if any of those actors transition over to Batwoman. Um, I know in Crisis, there wasn't necessarily anything directly relating Gotham, like that show, to yeah. the CW-verse, which is the reason I'm thinking we won't get that much like Gotham crossover. However, if they do get the rights to that and talk with Fox, just because like Fox has like lost shows and lost properties, like Lucifer mm-hmm. going over to Netflix and stuff like that, they might be willing to try and like revive that. Yeah. Um, but and my last prediction... It'll be weird. It'll, uh, just because Gotham was such a different vibe than every other Batman property ever. Oh, yeah. um, but yeah. my last prediction for Batwoman is um, so Kate Kane kept with Bruce Wayne's like Bat code, like no killing, like the innocents are like off limits. Mm-hmm. Ryan Wilder does not have that. And I want to see the development of like her own code. Maybe not necessarily the Batman yeah. no killing, but the okay, maybe I can under certain circumstances. It's similar to like um, with Oliver throughout mm-hmm. like the seasons of Arrow, but yeah. I think it's going to be so much different just because Batman has that really strong, like no killing, but Batwoman doesn't. No. So yeah. Um, yeah. we've talked a lot about Batwoman so far and we've had episodes to go off of. So there's a lot to build off of, but I want a quick touch on each of the other uh, upcoming shows. Yes. As far as I know, I'm the only one here that has watched and thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> Black Lightning like in its fullest. Um, so I can just give a quick uh, recap, minor spoilers for uh, last season where we ended off. Um, I really enjoyed the way they ended the last season. The one thing about Black Lightning that's really weird is they don't have necessarily like a seasoned villain the way like Arrow and Flash do. Cause like you kind of like gets hinted at episode one, you know, you get the big showdown at the mid season. And then the whole second half of the season is like interspersed with figuring out how to defeat the main villain that hasn't been how black lightning has been like you've had like a big overarching villain but then you've had like someone else come in like for season one it was tobias whale but then you got uh khalil as painkiller coming in which was big so like painkiller was technically the season villain but tobias whale was still around season two you had tobias whale still but then you also had the asa like coming in as like a real threat and then season three comes and Freeland is under occupation by the ASA. The whole world like is unaware of this. But then by the end of the season, you have this new villain called Gravedigger who was working with the Markovians, which is the whole reason the ASA put Freeland on lockdown. So the Markovians couldn't come steal all the metahumans. So there's a lot of stuff going on, which in my opinion has made Black Lightning really hard to follow. But I feel like by the end of season three, everything kind of came to a head and all of the complicated things 
kind of melded into one. And I think Crisis helped with that, kind of bringing it into the, the mm -hmm. CW-verse so they could like kind of end some storylines that weren't going anywhere um, and focus like the big three things that they still had going on into one. Mm -hmm. um, Zane, where, what was the last Black Lightning thing you watched and Hope, have you watched any Black Lightning? Uh, I have seen clips because I uh, have, so I will say it's on my list to watch but I tend to get distracted by other shows or other things like rewatching things. Um, so, but it's on my list. I've seen clips because China Ann McLean is one of the daughters, right? Lightning. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely love her in Disney channel shows. Like when she was on ant farm, it was adorable. Her, she does a great job in black lightning season three, yeah. like for season one and season two, she's like, okay, she's still developing her power, still developing her character. But Why season three, she's like, yeah. I'm a freaking powerhouse and you better get out of my way. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so good. She She's definitely like my big thing for watching it because she's phenomenal and, and everything she does. Um, and also the fact that like we had representation of African-American superheroes and I'm like, we need this. Um, so it's on my list, but I am... I will say I don't know that much about that's that's one of my favorite things about Black Lightning is like all of the other like CW shows have kind of like this dark tone especially yeah. during like fight sequences it's really dramatic but Black Lightning plays hip-hop during the fight sequences and it is awesome that is my favorite part of the show like he's he's kicking ass like I forget like who like which artists because like it's someone different every time and it's not always someone major but like it's like this is some you know it's got a hard beat you know you got some rap going and it's so good <laughs> it's so well, good like i was watching because okay so like this can this kind of segues into like answering your question the one i watched straight through is season one and one of my defining moments is black lightning was in a fight and then all of a sudden timmy turner by designer starts playing in the background as he's just yes. beating <laughs> and like that's that's the perfect example of it like because like i don't know like the only other steam that has like had that dark like strong of fight sequences and still plays music in the background is era but it's always like this deep alternative rock kind of in the background like in the jail sequences you know but this is like it's high energy and it matches that electricity that they all have as like the power you know like black lightning is like electric and it feels electric and dynamic and it's it's just lively you know um but so to answer your question i watched all of season one i watched sporadically in season two and season three like I, the reason I watched around season three was around crisis and because I just wanted to see, because I knew black lightning was coming to crisis. So I wanted to be like aware of, and that was actually pretty cool how they brought him in. But one of my favorite parts about black lightning is he's an older hero. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not, all of ours are like, you know, late 20, like young to late twenties, early thirties, but black Lightning's a father. He has a day job. Like he is, you know, he works. He's like, he's seen life he's seen what the toll of this life is and he wanted to put it away but he comes back because he believes in something greater you know and i think it's also really cool to see that because if all of your characters are young as heroes it it, it makes it easy to have them all fall into these repeating storylines and problems but i mean like i said i only really watched season one sporadically from there but the problems black lightning faced on a day-to-day -day basis weren't the same that the other characters faced, both as an attribute of his race and of his age. And I thought that created a more diversity in storylines to the CW's portfolio of uh, superheroes. 
and also it's like the because of his like daughters becoming superheroes too he has he takes that perspective of like how um jay garrick would to barry allen and now it's from jay's perspective like jay's like barry you idiot don't mess with the timeline but from barry's perspective we're like he had to mess with the timeline but in black lightning it's like thunder you idiot don't go like mess with these demonstrations that's a whole like political move and she's like but i had to and it's like no yeah and he's been there like he knows yeah it's great because you're not only parenting as a parent, but you're parenting as a superhero. As a superhero. And yeah. you get to see um, both of them and how that plays between the two. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, this it did get announced that this upcoming season will be the final season of Black Lightning. I'm mildly disappointed because I feel like this one just kind of, you know, got its feet in the ground and had more longevity than some of the other shows. Because I feel like from here you could build out, you know, you know, what does Thunder look like as a hero um, what does lightning look like post like high school? Like, what is, is she going to go yeah. straight into superheroing? Is she going to try and have a normal life? Um, especially with her interactions with Khalil. Um, so yeah. my hopes and predictions is like this one, like for black lightning um, is that it ends on a note that like suggests what might keep happening, even though, even if we might not see it, um, we haven't seen any like clips or anything for black lightning yet, but my hope is that, you know, um, we get not necessarily closure, but like Black Lightning stories done, but we know maybe Thunder and Lightnings isn't, Painkillers isn't, and stuff like that. And so they can draw them back into if need be as time. And, and, like, a, yeah. and like a crossover with other shows later on and yeah. things like that. Um, I think it yeah. might be really cool if they did do like a spin off with. Um, thunder and lightning and like having that sister dynamic too um and just like like you said like what happens after high school are you gonna try and live a normal life or are you gonna um and maybe even like having them go to a different city even to like try and break out from under their dad's shadow or something i hadn't thought about that just because freeland is like such an integral part of the black lightning story mm-hmm like even from the com like in the comics, I'm pretty sure the origin for Black Lightning is Freeland is actually just a part of Metropolis, and, and that yeah. Superman somehow ignores. And Black Lightning's like, well, if you're not going to save us, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Freeland still has that dynamic here. Um, also, one thing I know you guys haven't watched like the end of season three, but um, one of my favorite parts about the villain Gravedigger that ends up being like the main antagonist of season three at the very end is his existence explains why black lightning is special. Like I won't, I won't spoil why, but like that was one of the plot points that bugged me throughout season one is like, all right, you have the, you have the green light vaccine um, that, you know, all of these, the kids are frozen in pods because they're unstable, but black lightning is the one that isn't. And it explains why, Um, which I will, I will not spoil that, but that was one of like the biggest like things that like I still have gears turning like, I know like his dad was important and Gamby was somehow involved, but like that doesn't explain like biologically why he was different. This one does. So, yeah. So especially knowing that and having only watched, like, so at least from my experience, having watched season one and knowing that there's that light further on, it makes me more interested in seeing more. And I, I feel like other people would feel the same way. Awesome. All right. Quick uh, moving on to Supergirl. Um, the way that that one ended was it was also cut short a bit, but I feel like there was a lot more with Supergirl that we weren't like, it seemed like a season finale with what happened, even though there was going to be another episode. Yes. Um, I, right off the bat, my biggest one, everything I want in this last season, I want, I want Brainiac Brainy. 
yes. that's my go-to. I mean, that's all I'm hoping for. Like, and I think that would be the perfect ending to it. I want Brainiac Brain because this is the last season of Supergirl. Um, so first up, and the interesting is we still have Lex Luthor there. So right mm-hmm. off the bat, I would like to see this end up being, I think because Brainy is essentially going to have to reboot is my assumption after this. And I think it'll unlock a Brainiac. And it's, I think this is going to be, it could be one of those um, villain for the first half. And then the second half, it kind of switches. So the first half is Brainy's rebooting and he wants to help stop Luther, but to do so, he has to become more like Brainiac. And then they stop Luther at the midpoint, but then Brainiac is the second half. And to help wrap up the season, we need to bring back the Legion of Superheroes so we get Monel back for Supergirl at the end. And then and Supergirl it, goes back to the future with the Legion of Superheroes to retire, yeah. just like it did in Justice League Unlimited. <laughs> exactly, with Monel. And that's and I think that's perfect because one of the big things in the whole season, and it's been kind of con- I don't want to say contrived, but painful, is that Supergirl just can't find anyone like Monel. Mm-hmm. And that's just it keeps coming back. And all even like last season, they tried to I can't remember he's British. What was his name? No, he's not British, the it's Chris British Wood. Guy Oh, are you talking about Okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the new character. The news the, reporter. He was he never yeah. like was important to here. I have a phone, I can look it up. I was gonna say, I'll look it up right now. But like last season they wanted to give him that new love interest. And first off, fans were ruthless to that poor man. There was no reason that they should have been that against him. Like, yes, I agree that Monel was the match for Supergirl, but he was decent. But like it didn't work that like she couldn't find that same vibe. And I think that's been something that she's always been really focused on as a character. Like she found herself and everything like that, but she's also always been trying to, you know, keep up with that. And so I think it would be interesting to see him come back, but overall, I really just want to see where we're at with Brainy, you know? Mm -hmm. Were you talking about William day? Yes. Yes. Okay. William. That's it. Like he was fine. I think he would have been a cool, like, um, kind of like what Jimmy Olsen is to Superman if like they would have done that because he has that background with he had that background with Leviathan which I feel like spreads out more to the Luthers as well um however like as a love interest I'm not loving it however like I don't hate that he's on the show I was gonna say the few times I think I was gonna say the few times that I saw him he just seemed really cocky and I was like Supergirl does not seem like the type of person that would go for that but I think the biggest issue is he's brought in as a new character, but they didn't allow him to develop as a character mm. before they started lumping him with Supergirl. And yeah. because it was clear that was, he was eventually going to be a love interest, but he wasn't given, he wasn't fleshed out as his own character. And because of yeah. that, his only focus ended up being with Supergirl, but he didn't have any depth. So that's why what might've been endearing cockiness, if he was developed, it yeah. didn't come off that way because of that. Mm-hmm. So, Zane, what you said about Brainiac, um, in my notes of what I wanted to talk about with Supergirl, I had three points. That was Brainy, Lena, and Lex. And that's it. And you talked about <laughs> Brainy and Lex. Um, so, But the, the end with Lena, I think her arc in season five was really, really good. I, w- I wanted her to be the, the season villain so bad, like to overtake Leviathan. But I'm, I'm happy that they're back on the same side. And I think she's going to be yeah. key to, you know, stopping Brainiac and stopping Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, she's my favorite. Off. Yeah, she's my favorite character in like the whole Supergirl um, arc, or like, like, well, throughout the seasons. Lena Luther has been my favorite. Um, but I think the 
that transition of like, is she, she's not a villain, but she's not on Supergirl's team anymore. Yeah. Uh, was really good. And I want to see, I want to see the aftermath of that. Yeah. It might be interesting to For see sure. her as like an anti-hero. Like, especially sure. if now that like, you know, she's kind of like mad at Supergirl and Kara and, um, and like just that whole of, I'm not necessarily on your side, but I'm not on, you know, still I'm trying to break Lex. away from the Luther name. And, but like, also like, it just might be interesting to see her as that anti-hero of. Overall between Brainy and the Luthers, I feel like season six has exceptional potential. Mm-hmm. Um, especially mm-hmm. if they keep on the direction they did. Like season four was like probably Supergirl's best season. Season five was like really good as well. And I think season yeah. six can be a really good send off just based on what they've given season us so five. far. Yeah, season five just had a lot of like um, extra like plot threads going around. So it made it hard to navigate sometimes. But that finale just like kind of like mashed them all together all of a sudden. And all of a sudden you, you only have to wrap up a little bit like based off because Supergirl I think was probably the one that felt like it was... It, it had a natural ending for like a finale, but that and Flash definitely both felt like they're cut short. Mm-hmm. I feel, but I think that's okay because if they decide to do that two halves of the season type deal to finish it off, I think it definitely lends to that. But I think the potential is through the roof, and it shapes up to be a very good send off season. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, last season they put a lot of focus on Dreamer too, and like the relationship with Brainiac, I think, is also going to be really important. Um, I really like Dreamer as a character. Yeah, I think it's a, she will be, because not, I love her powers. I think they're very interesting. Like the dream base, like it's foresight, but also it's almost like mind waves, kind of like, like control of mind waves, like that kind of thing. And combining that with, I think that's, and especially to like compare that with Brainy, who's like essentially a cyborg-esque type character, you know, like that human robot, like toying the line. I think comparing someone so human with someone so not quite human, it allows both of them to be even better characters. And I think that's great. And I would love to see what they continue to do with the dreamer going forward, because if we want to see Supergirl go off into the future, dreamer would be the natural next hero of national city. So I would like to see the season have her even coming into more of her own being a true representation of the city, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also the the whole episode, like Dreamer's, like pri- the episode that was primarily focused on Dreamer's story arc last season um, about the uh, the villain that was like very uh, transphobic and like anti, you know, transgender yeah. people. Um, I thought, I think that's like a good starting point for developing Dreamer more, like recognizing, you know, there are people that aren't, you know, totally accepting of, um, tra- of people that are transgender. But I think working through that and working past that on the show, like, um, yeah. by showing that Dreamer is like just a good as here, just a good of heroes anyone else, um, and with some like exceptional powers, um, like exactly. establishing her as like a Supergirl level hero mm-hmm. could make it really really impactful. Specifically because that's not an obstacle we've seen overcome in a CW show yet. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. Cool. Um, all right, so we have three more shows that are still going. Uh, Superman and Lois. We have nothing going on. Like, we have seen nothing. We've seen the trailer. That's about it. It looks like it's a family drama. Um, and the crisis impact is that pre-crisis, Superman and Lois just had a baby. Um, now they have two teenage sons. Uh, so that's my... 
I'm like, this could be, this kind of gives me Man of Steel, like flashback vibes for like yeah. Kal-El trying to figure out his powers. I feel like that's kind of be the, the center of season one mm-hmm. is like, our dad is Superman. Are we Superboy? And like that type of stuff. Um, what do you think? <laughs> um, I would agree with you. I think the question of are we Superboy will be ringing in our heads for a very long time. Um, I really like this because it allows us one to see a family drama, which is something we kind of saw with Star Girl, but it's going to be interesting to see it from that super standpoint. I'm interested to see them give this Lois Lane character some more depth in that way. Because, I mean, I told you about it when we first saw Lois, I wasn't the biggest fan of her. I, you know, it wasn't, she wasn't always my favorite, but she really grew on me as it went on. And I really like the, I really like the way it's done. I really like the Superman character. I'm interested to see having two super sons. But the thing I'm most interested in is seeing, because I think this will be our way to bring in like, more of those villains, not necessarily like like characters that are very Superman-esque that you couldn't fit in with Supergirl. And so something I'm really hoping to see, probably not this season, but going forward, is I'd like to see Crypto the Superdog. Yes. yes. That's just something that I could easily see coming in through this. And so I think, I think it's just going to be a really fun, lighthearted show while still having um, that Arrowverse flair. I honestly kind of want like the um, sky high um, kind of vibe with the suns where like um, Will, you know, he's at school and then all of a sudden he's like protecting his friends and then he finds out he has super strength uh, and it's not till the end that he has like flying abilities. But I think that would be like really interesting to see too, like how they are in the real world if they don't know that they have powers and then all of a sudden like having that oh shit like um something's happening and i shouldn't be showing this off and and maybe even getting i'm gonna bring in spider-man into this but like how peter parker has ned and you know the one of them getting like a best friend that's like here try this and keeping it from uh clark kent and then all of a sudden like they blow up the barn or something and then they find out that mm-hmm. one of the boys has superpowers like i think that would kind of be adorable but also like that family dynamic of teenagers not wanting to tell their parents stuff and trying to hide stuff and the who am i um trope of coming of mm-hmm. age type thing i think that would be interesting yeah i agree i think that'll the the whole family aspect of it will definitely be a different feel of the the arrowverse um, but my biggest thing is since Supergirl is ending, um, Supergirl is Earth Prime's protector. Like pre, like pre-crisis and post-crisis, like Supergirl is the most powerful hero we have in the Arrowverse. And if she, you know, goes off to the future or for some reason is no longer on Earth, and you know, Superman and Lois have moved back to Kansas, um, that kind of makes Superman the de facto, you know, person in charge, de facto most powerful person. And if he's also trying to raise super sons and doing that, that is like a big thing. Like a, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of stuff to juggle. But if the super sons have superpowers and can join in, that's also a different dynamic to throw into the whole Arrowverse as well. Like um, not only do you now have Thunder and Lightning, who we haven't seen in a crossover yet, but are like confirmed same earth now, you also have super sons. So like, there's like the old, you know, the old guard of, you know, Flash, uh, Arrow slash the Spectre, um, Superman slash Supergirl, if she's still around, the Legends. And then you have the new guard of um, Thunder and Lightning, uh, Superboys, um, 
who else who else has kids um i guess like nora allen um if she comes back even well, though she got dusted uh got, she got Thanos. Uh, <laughs> you got arrow's daughter oh yeah you have a uh, son um, yes you have william and um let's see did she call herself yeah. the green arrow or did she have a different name i thought she used a different she, name. Goes, green. Yeah, she goes by green but, arrow okay yeah um but like we know there's always that uh there's a certain block with that one yeah they uh, we haven't heard anything about that one green arrow and canaries doesn't seem to have been green i think it's canceled yeah so which is i mean that's fine i kind of liked leaving arrow alone i like the the legacy of it but um all right now to yeah yeah um my favorite part of the Arrowverse, uh, we're going to talk about Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> um, Zane's background is um, the god of the Arrowverse. We have Bebo, god of war. Yes. Um, so the way we left off with Legends is they they did get to finish the season. Um, so they took on the Fates. They won. We have a kind of a mix up of the roster. Um, we have Constantine. Constantine's still there. We still have Nate. We have Behrad and New Zari. Zari two um and heat wave um as well as astro um, so like that's that's our yeah. well and we also have um ava because she'll be the captain but the reason ava their captain is well i mean sarah lance got abducted by aliens <laughs> and that is i so normally that feels like such a god from the machine and like that's like straight deus ex machina but it fit the show and that's just i think that's one of those so things that's such a testament to the show is the fact that you're in the last two minutes of your season finale and one of your main characters from the start is just abducted by aliens and you're like yeah this isn't this this fits like this is natural mm-hmm. and i am incredibly excited because we know i think um, we know that this it's just interesting to think about the aliens could be who are abducting her and we know that this is the year that would have matched um the hawk people from now post-crisis where they could be coming back so like are we gonna finally get a return of hawkman and hawk girl in a way with this like you know the thanagarian war um i know that was the exactly. that line in the justice league animated show um oh and also we uh we forgot a very important um member of uh team legends and it's not gideon um, it is Gary, Gary, Gary the most important legend. <laughs> um, the, the poor man. He just, he's just vibing always. He's I vibing hope we all get the Gary time. Like, I like Gary, but I don't like weird Gary. Like, you know, the difference between like the episode where Gary was found on the ship by Zari, like when it kept blowing in up. When they had, yeah, in the Groundhog Day yeah. situation. And then we have mm-hmm. like, Gary when he nipple shirtless Gary. most of the episode. Nipple Gary, yes. Yeah. Where we have to get the virgin nipple, yeah, you know. Yes, where he, yeah. for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with Legends, in the season premiere of season four, no, yeah, season four, because um, it was the unicorn. That was the, the, that was the first season with Constantine. In order to yeah. capture a unicorn, the unicorn needed to eat the, the, the nipple the of a virgin. Of the flesh of a virgin. So um, they used Gary as bait and they it, the unicorn bit off his nipple, which was the which weirdest concept ever. 
a very uncomfortably relevant plot point as the season wore on. Like, like I, I won't touch on it too much. Times. Yeah, like, but it's just, it was there and it was persistent. And it, mm-hmm. yeah, it was interesting, but I don't think regular Gary would be as endearing if we didn't have weird Gary as well. That's fair. Um, also, the like monstrosity that was train Gary though, that was probably the <laughs> weirdest Gary since of last episode of last season. Yes, train Gary. Um, for anyone who hasn't watched Legends, this show is going to sound ridiculous. Um, it is. It is very stupid. Um, just all of the reality warping. Um, if any of you have started watching WandaVision, it's kind of like the reality warping that's happening in WandaVision if it was a meme. Yeah, I was like, very I aware really, that it was a meme. I cannot recommend to anyone enough to watch Legends of Tomorrow. Like, right off the bat, the characters are a little confusing because they're essentially cast-offs chosen from other Arrowverse shows, both villains and heroes. And so you're a little confused as to their origins and backstories. But after, like, throughout the first season and immediately afterwards, they all just delve into their own, like, streams and occasionally it calls back to their origins. But it becomes its own beautiful mess that is just so bizarre and so aware that it's bizarre, that it's, it's truly hilarious. Like when I say shows are funny, that doesn't mean I'm laughing when I'm watching, but when I watch Legends of Tomorrow, I truly am laughing out loud when I am watching it, sometimes by myself, and I'm not ashamed to say it. It is, I'm, it's so uniquely written. But the thing is, like, if you watch Legends season one, it's like trying to be as serious as Flash and Arrow. And then season two, you're like, okay, they're kind of getting funnier with it. But like, they but the villains are still reverse Flash, Damian Dark, and um, yeah, Malcolm Merlin. So like, it's like, okay, they're they're villains. And then you get season three, where the culmination of the season is the they've been saying the villain's name wrong the entire season. He corrects them when they finally meet him. And to beat him, they have to get a bunch of like mystical totems together uh, to form what you see behind Zane as a giant Bebo, which is the Elmo of the Arrowverse. And then season three was just like, everything hit the fan. That was it, we're done. We're done trying to be serious. Yeah, the show is a joke. And to like further include, like, it wasn't like they just thought of Bebo. We actually got Bebo prior in the season as the return. Like, so the Arrowverse shows have a mid-season finale. Well, the Legends of Tomorrow used to, and it was that episode like eight. And so episode nine hit, and they're, the big thing with Legends of Tomorrow is they travel through time. And um, all of a sudden in episode nine, they go back to the new world being discovered. And they, it's around Christmas time. And instead of embracing Christianity, they mess with the timeline and it becomes a Bebo day who is their God of war. And at that point, Bebo has just become this, it's almost your mascot for the show in the way that it's so strange, but because of how they managed to fit it in, it works and it's funny and it's just lighthearted. And the thing that really brings legends together for me is the writing. Like each character has such great storylines. They're able to just keep throwing stuff at the wall and making it stick, but it works in the show. And even though this is so bizarre, everything that happens drives the plot. Like there's nothing I have that I can think of recently where I felt like, okay, I like this, but it doesn't need to be here. Everything I've seen is like, 
okay, yeah, this drives something forward. This makes the show better. This adds to the storyline. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it is that it all works. Yeah, it's, it is an amalgamation of everything, but also nothing. So yeah, Hope. Okay, so yeah. this is like one of few clips that I've seen of Le- Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Lucifer, do you think that he would come back? Or no, because he was just playing a specific part for... No, um, however, the Lucifer crossover in Crisis where um, like he and John Constantine are friends, is, like as a fan of Lucifer and of Legends, that was gold. I love that so much. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't want to give too much away because we are running low on time, but um, Legends is really good. High prediction, like our, Zane and I are kind of on the same page. I'm thinking either the Thanagarians are coming back or we might get Starro as the main villain. Um, but yeah. beyond that, I don't want to like get too deep into that just because Legends is just a cluster of a bunch of stuff and I can go down a million rabbit holes for that. But uh, the last it's main show that is, yes, Legends could have its own episode. Um, Flash, it, probably the biggest show in the CW with the biggest mm-hmm. following. That ended yeah. really weird. Like it ended, like the only one that ended that felt like it should not have ended yet. Um, we yeah, end Flash. with the cliff. Yes, we end with um, Eva or Mirror. I call her Mirror Master just because, like, that's who she is. It based off the comics, but they yeah. haven't called her that yet. Um, exiting the Mirrorverse so she can finally get her revenge. Leaving Iris in there, Barry pretty much permanently losing his speed until they can come up with the artificial speed force, um, and then and Iris in the movies. like Iris. Oh, is- that- is gone in the mirror. Oh yeah, Iris, Iris is gone is in the mirrorverse. Gone. Uh, which my theory is Iris is getting powers from this. Um, yeah. Also, there's a, kind of an unfinished storyline with Reverse Flash, with related to the uh, artificial speed force as well. We're also getting a and new main character. Mm-hmm. We're we're not we're getting like a new season regular and Chester, who we only saw a couple times. So like this season, like right off the bat, has a million questions to answer. Um, and really not enough time to answer them all. <laughs> so um, big, the biggest wow. thing is how are we getting the artificial speed force and how are we beating Ava? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the artificial speed force, so uh, Cisco's gone off to Atlantis to get the final piece, a perpetual motion machine, which is interesting. Um, so I, I think the only way that because they need this, like, they're trying to recreate it from their knowledge of Thawne, but reverse slash. Um, but I don't think they're going to be able to do it on their own. And I think they might need to go to find Thawne and have him help out. And I think what's going to happen is, especially with all these Godspeed clones, like, we talked about this off screen before, but, like, where it may, it could be that the reverse slash just possesses one of them to use as his, like, vessel, because we saw his his negative speed force escaping from uh which which wells is this the what's his name what do we call him oh nash wells yes nash wells i knew it was like tennessee or something like that we see the speed force escape the negative speed force escaping from nash wells and going into the sky so he'll find another body like i think that's going to be one of the biggest plot points of this coming season is where is the reverse flash um but so i'd imagine that they might end up needing his help for that because i don't know if they're gonna be able to pull it together on their own mm-hmm. but i think that's really interesting and the mirror master we'll call her mirror master um to the theater 
I'm really interested in that. I think it's going to involve needing Iris to come back, especially because we're going to need the knowledge of how that works to get her back in, like the mirrorverse I'm referencing. And I think we'll probably, I think we'll just have one of those surprise coincidences where the episode right before we are finally able to stop her, the speed force is back, you know, something like that mm -hmm. kind of, because I think we'll need that to be able to handle it. But I'm, I'm not entirely sure the exact way in which that's going to wrap up because it's not like, she's the way that she's been displayed so far is that she's not necessarily going to be maleficent in how she's behaving right off the bat. Like we don't know what her game is at this point. Mm -hmm. Like we know she needs to be stopped, but we don't necessarily know why. Yeah. And that's yeah. The, so that's exciting going. And so there's that. no pressure to do it right away. It's <laughs> also part mm -hmm. of it. Like, because you can't just take her down unless you can prove that there's a reason to take her down. Because she's not quite like, figure. yeah, she's not quite like blood work, like in the same season last yeah. season. Like he was very clearly like, he's going to infect everyone. And like with. And what's going to come of blood work now going forward too. Exactly. We know because he, he just wanted the drop of himself out of that containment cell. So what's, what's that play there? You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of things that were left out there for us to think about. Yes. And Flash probably has the most questions to answer. So. I saw something uh, on social media somewhere. I don't remember where exactly. And I, of course, like just breezed right past it. Um, but I saw something about Rick Cosnett coming back and playing a character on Flash, not as Eddie Thawne, because he's dead, but coming back and playing a different character. Cobalt Blue. Yes. And that's what could be. So they've said that this year is going to have two separate villains in this. And so I think the first eight episodes are going to be wrapping up Mirror Master, setting up the Speed Force coming back. And I think something somehow I think what happens one of those Godspeed clones combined with Reverse Flash, that might create our Cobalt Blue situation. And, I, I, and I'm not sure how that would necessarily work, but it follows that similar storyline that there's already this prior relationship between Barry and Cobalt. And so I think that would be the best way that we get that back. And I think Cobalt Blue would be an excellent villain to have, especially based on everything we've seen, where Barry needs to come to terms with this new Speed Force. We have the Reverse Flash just being around. We have Speed Force clones just going around everywhere. I think it's, I think it would be a good time for it. So with all, these questions, with all these questions surrounding Flash, uh, one of my biggest questions, specifically because Black Lightning's coming to an end, Supergirl's coming to an end, do we think that an end of the Flash is in sight like could be soon just because arrow got eight seasons and arrow in my opinion was the strongest cw show like arrowverse show and they stopped it at eight seasons because Stephen amell wanted to leave and all the other stuff how much longevity do we have left on flash so first like i think the thing we need to consider first off is and this isn't to like bad mouth anyone like i'm not saying that but like Stephen amell wanted out after season seven and he agreed to come back to give a proper send-off in eight, like an even better one so they could wrap it up. He'd become Spectre, like all that stuff. It was, there was a reason that I believe, so Flash is the, um, Grant Gustin's contract, I think ends after seven as well. But Grant Gustin really, I think he's at a point where he could keep going with Flash, you know? I don't think, my the, not that I felt like Stephen Amell wanted out of Arrow, but I'm not saying that, but like I could see how he was ready for the next step. But Grant Gustin, I feel like, is really loving being the Flash. And the thing also with Flash is even though I think 
I agree with you, Brendan, that Arrow, I felt like, was probably the best. It's not the one that's been rated the best. Ever since Flash has come out, it has been the cash cow of the CW in that way. And so I see easily this season wraps up. This would not be last season. And I don't think eight would be last season either. I can see this wrapping up. And then there'll probably be another speedster villain in eight. But I think, I mean, I think it needs to end with a reverse flash again. I agree with you. Which is why like, I, I, I just, thought like seven might be, cause there's like this, you know, yeah, bleeding effect over from reverse movie. flash, but I don't like right now, I don't think it's going to be that way. So I, All right. I, I, could see I think eight, but I'm also see them doing one more season out of it. Yeah, after think, Like extending past zero. I think Grant Gustin is definitely the driving force. And I think because he he definitely came into his own, like got more confidence while playing Flash, um, like as an actor himself. So I think he is like the leading force on whether or not it's going to keep going. And I think for him, he'd need a good like ending for Flash before he'd agree to fully end Flash. Like I think he'd need that like, wrap up and like flash feels like he's done and like barry allen's comfortable with just like going and like being a normal human being and working with the uh police department and everything and like just kind of oh. living out his life i hope um, you and i have very different ideas on how flash is going to end yeah, my, my, my theory is it's going to be this whole circle of however like whatever reverses reverse flash's plan is is like <laughs> involves barry going faster than he's ever gone before yeah um and involves him going into the speed force and becoming the bolt of lightning that struck him in season one that turned him into the flash like that pure speed force energy and like it, then you just start the show all over again and that's my <laughs> theory that's happened in the comics that's what i think they're gonna pull and my fingers crossed because i think that would be a really cool ending um we are running low on time and there's one thing i wanted to talk about with zane before we left that i thought would be really fun um zane and i have been fans of the um the, sh- the Arrowverse shows from the beginning and one of my favorite parts of the shows are the villains. So I wanted to talk with uh, both of you, Zane, yeah. or Zane, I know you have a top five. Hope I, I asked you the question before. Um, what are your top five Arrowverse villains of all time? Zane, do you want to go first? I was going to say. Okay. So my first question, I would like, I want one question for you. Are we allowing like a specific if there were like, for example, a specific group of villains, so like, for example, a Legion of Doom or like the Earth X leaders, like, are we allowing that to count as one of the villains, or would you like a singular villain in that case? Um, I would count. Let's say like, well, I'll do the Legion of Doom example because that has villains from other like seasons. If you were to say, let's yeah. say, Malcolm Merlin is in your top, um, you could say both Legion of Doom and Malcolm Merlin, but Malcolm Merlin. I would hope you would consider his time in the Legion of Doom in putting him in your list. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, because I, and I also like to just, so I'm going to start by um, explaining, I'm going to go for five to one when I eventually do this. But first I'd like to say like what I consider when I look for a good villain, I look for one who not only, so I look for two things. One is the way in which they affect our hero, our main character, how they drive them. Are they a foil? Are they a good match? Like, do they push them to the edge? Something like that. But also something that I'll consider is the way in which they're developed themselves. And so like, those are two things that I'm considering. So I'm going to start with five. Um, I chose the, um, our opposites from earth X 
like the way we have Overgrow, we have the leader of the Reich um, as um, Arrow. I think that's very important. I like that because it allows us as viewers to see what if things just went a little different. Like it's one of those classic alternate history things. So not only it's the Nazis one, but our heroes push to like darkness. Mm -hmm. And so it gives us the idea what happened if Oliver's pushed to darkness and he interacts with Supergirl as who's also pushed to darkness. And so then he ends up never interacting with Felicity and we get to see that kind of development. And so that's kind of why I like that, but um, honorable Does this mention, include Reverse Flash in that? No, I'm not. No, I'm not okay. counting that because Reverse Flash is something different. I will. Um, my honorable mentions for that one also are um, is Ray slash Neuron because seeing Ray as um, a dark as a, because Ray is a shining light of a human being. He is your scout. He is just kind. And so seeing him as a villain was very interesting. And plus, Neuron was interesting in the way that he manipulated things. And both of those, I could anticipate being surpassed by Alice once I see how her arc wraps, wraps up, Alice being from Batwoman. Um, number four, I'm going with Lex Luthor because I enjoy the way that he, I like his planning abilities. I enjoy the way he's pushed Supergirl. And because of how iconically he is against Superman, seeing Supergirl being up to stand up to him allows us to feel more about how powerful Supergirl is and how much of strength she has and the way, and also the way that he is, Luther has been able to insert himself into situations that drive the plot along, but also make it so you can't get rid of him right away. It makes him stick around. And also John Carter does an amazing job as Luther. Um, number three, I'm going to reverse flash. Um, and this is kind of low for some people, but you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, Obviously, he's an iconic Flash villain. The way he masquerades as Harrison Wells as his mentor to Barry Allen in the first season, that's excellent writing. He keeps showing up. He's constantly tearing down Barry's life. He's, I mean, it's the per I mean, it's in the name. He is the reverse Flash, mm -hmm. where he will always be Barry's reverse. And it's just perfect the way that you can see that what if a speedster goes wrong? And it's so terrifying. I mean, nothing's more iconic than the shaking hand through the heart. Like, that's it. Seeing him in prison, perfect. Yeah. Number two, I'm going with Prometheus from Arrow. And so this, I like this. And going into this list, Brendan asked me to prepare this. You, he's always been my number one. And so, but right now he's my number two. And I'll explain why not at, when I get to number one. Um, but Prometheus, he was only one season but it's his value is in the way that he shows the gravity of Oliver's decisions, how everything Oliver's done has had lasting effects into other people's lives, but also he's been able to push Oliver, not physically like anyone else, but mentally and forcing Oliver to acknowledge what he's become and what he's done, which at the time was bad and made Oliver, you know, feel terrible and question himself. But in acknowledging that Oliver was able to grow and become the hero that we see at the end of the series in being that truly what it like, not only a good hero, but a good man, that kind of thing. And number one, I, I'm going with Damien Dark. And so originally, now this interesting. is, <laughs> this is not interesting. Now, just, I, I thought of like, I told you, I thought about this, Brendan, but 
so season four, he's not a great arrow villain because, and this is where, this is where it starts. He, he has mystical powers, but he has this sarcasm and joy to him. That's so unique and almost cruel in a villain, like the things he does, but then the jokes he makes at the same time, it's so, and in arrow, it didn't always fit, but that's where we saw this start. We saw him start as like, he wanted a better world. He wanted to protect his daughter and he loved his wife. That's what we hear about Damien Dart. And then what we get to see as time goes on is he ends up joy. We get to see him in legends season two, where he becomes a part of our Legion of doom. And now his jokes don't seem as bizarre because he's in a more setting of that. But the thing is he wants, he wants his control back. He wants revenge. He wants to show like he makes the legends, his um, essentially his slaves and they're his private killers. And we can see that he just wants revenge for all the people who wronged him before, but he ends up switching because he doesn't like what reverse flash is doing. He wants, he doesn't like the way reverse flash is making it all about him. Like, you can see this shred of just something else there. And then we see in season three, where it turns out he had himself preserved and we found his daughter, Nora is fully grown and mm-hmm. Damien Dark is revived from the dead. And now all he's back is with the vengeance. And it turns out he's supposed to be a, ve- a vessel for Mollus. But at the end, it's his daughter that was prepared for Mollus. But we see in the season finale of three that Damien Dark doesn't want that for his daughter. He wants more. And up, leading up to that point, we see that all he really cares about is Nora. He just wants a better world for her. He wants her to be able to be her best. And so he gives up his life in order to make, to let Nora live and not have to be the vessel for a demon. And we get to see him one more time. And this is when I realized, I think he's my favorite villain and not maybe because of his villainy, but because of him as a character is in season five of Legends of Tomorrow, where he's brought back as an encore meant to just rain death upon the planet. And instead of first going down to start raining death, he visits his daughter, Nora, and he sees, and he wants to hear about her life and everything like that. And it ends up being not happy with it, not happy with her. But then Nora just comes clean and says, you know what? I'm, I'm with Ray. I'm with Ray. He makes me happy. He makes me be myself and Damien comes around and he's like in the end Nora doll this is all I want for you and you know it happens but at the end of that episode he goes he's, it's time for him to go because he'll be called back to hell as because he won't complete his task and you can see him walking out of walking out of the mansion where that and he doesn't say goodbye to his daughter because he doesn't want to let her know or Ray but he tells Ray before he goes to make sure you do some, you treat my daughter well and do whatever it takes for her. But at the doorway, he sees Sarah Lance. And as we know from season four, he killed Sarah Lance's sister. Sorry, spoiler. But at this point, you should know. And he says, for what it's worth, I truly am sorry that I killed your sister and I would take it back if I could. And then he walks out. And then we see that he took a Hellblade, which is the only thing that can truly annihilate someone from hell. And so instead of going back to hell, and having to once again go back and possibly engage in evil acts and be sent out to do evil. He would rather leave his daughter peacefully and just no longer exist in any capacity, no soul in order to leave his daughter be. And I think that kind of character development and 
power towards family, but also the way that he, we've seen him have such strong violence and powers and magic. I think that makes him the ideal villain as a character. But if we're looking at just as the ideal villain, then Prometheus would probably be that. But my number one would be Damien Dark. Very interesting. I've never looked like I, I appreciated it in like most recent season of Legends. But at that point, I no longer saw Damien as a villain. And that's why I uh-huh. think that's I think that's the difference between like because for me, season four, Damien, I was like left a bad taste in my mouth. I liked him when he got on Legends and then season six. But then I'm like, eh, he's 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 just kind of like a recurring character. Um, I'll give my top five in a sec, but Hope, do you have any comments? Um, so I will say that I do have a top five list, not in any particular order. Um, and a lot of them are from like early seasons because I haven't watched the later seasons as much. Um, but so I'll just go down the list. So I've got the Music Man, um, who was Darren Chris. There was that Supergirl Flash episode. Um, and I liked that one because, like, he wasn't, like, a true villain, but it was one of those, like, how do we get it so we can have a musical episode, but also how do we get back on track for these two shows? Because it seemed like they were both kind of, like, all of a sudden, like, writers were like, oh, shoot, we, like, screwed up on writing and we don't know how to get it back. So let's bring in this villain and have a crossover episode and get everything back on track. Um, but also, like, Darren Chris is just phenomenal at acting like that slightly evil way while also like completely knowledgeable also his villain was like weirdly omnipotent and i'm upset we haven't seen him again i I would absolutely love to see him again that would be fantastic like you wouldn't even need him for a musical episode i mean obviously he's the music man so you got a music somehow but like you know i would be okay if it wasn't a musical episode but we got him back um next one on my list is I believe it was the trickster played by Mark Hamill in Flash. Um, mainly because like there are villains. So like there's different types of villains. And like I really like the ones that are just purely evil for the sense of being evil. Like they might have a backstory, but also they've kind of like transitioned into the I just want to spread chaos and have fun with that. And I absolutely loved that. And the fact that it was Mark Hamill also, you know, Luke Skywalker being completely evil and crazy it was phenomenal he plays more villains than he does heroes he's got luke yeah. and then in his villain he's like yeah. joker trickster fire lord ozai yeah and it, <laughs> it's just interesting because you know he's the iconic hero being he's also the iconic Skywalker. villain <laughs> like, yeah um then i had the toy maker so win's dad in supergirl oh yeah toy man yeah um because he Honestly, like, you can see the change in Wynn after he deals with his dad that one time. Um, because he's like, I don't want to end up like my dad, where my dad wasn't making decisions. And he's like, I'm going to be brave. And he tells Kara how he feels. And I'm like, that's what we needed to get Wynn to see what he could become and what he wants to become. And how does he go about doing that? And how does he figure himself out? Um, I miss Wynn. Yeah, I love Wynn. Um, Slade Wilson, be- Deathstroke, um, because one, again, I love the actor, um, but two, I think it was just like perfect because it brought about what Arrow, what, you know, what, what he needed to do, Oliver Queen needed to do, what was it really that you wanted to protect your city, you know, get it to being um, like who destroys your city or 
are you really just trying to protect your family and your family name and like um, reinvent that? And Slade Wilson is, I mean, he's out for revenge because he blames Oliver for the death of the girl that they were both in love with on the island. Um, But it's just like, it also makes Oliver think about like what truly matters to him. Um, And then again, going off of that with Monel's mom, that I can't remember her name. Rhea. Um, Rhea, yes. When she comes and she just is like, I want to, you know, protect my son and make this for him. But honestly, she's also just like manipulating everyone to fit her needs. And she's like that one that you, you love and you hate at the same time because you want to believe that she wants what's best for her son but then you also see her being a complete bitch and manipulating everyone and going like, no, I absolutely hate you and you're terrible and you should die. And, you know, obviously she does. But, you know, those are my top five that I had. Ray and the Dex Mates were always... That season was really weird just because, like, you thought it was going to be, like, Lillian Luther the whole time and, like, going yeah. with LexCorp yeah. as the villain in Cadmus. Uh, but, that like, that twist at the end kind of threw me for a loop. And I think that's why I never really fully appreciated... Ray and the Daxonites because I thought that was going to be oh maybe season three but um I still appreciate the whole like that whole fight with Supergirl at the end um so to start mine off is actually one that uh Hope mentioned my number five is Deathstroke um going with like the early seasons of Arrow like the like season one on the island with Slade you're like oh no he's a friend and then like season two you're like Oh, never mind. Um, and then him coming in and just like, he was the original one that really messed with Oliver. Like Malcolm Merlin was like a good villain and a great like mirror to Oliver to start. But then once Oliver's growth started, I feel like um, Deathstroke came in and really manipula- like, manipulated him. Because it got under his skin. Like it got under his skin, Deathstroke did. Like he could yes. strike those chords. And not just the arrow, but also Oliver Queen, because he knew, like, he knew yeah. that he could figure that out. He knew how to manipulate the situation. The reason he's not hired, because he used to be like he, before yeah. other villains on my list showed up, he used to be my number one. The reason he's not hired, post crisis, he doesn't kill Moira. Um, which I know that's Oliver doing that, but that timeline change is like okay, that was one of his big defining moments that he no longer has. Yeah. Also him becoming more like a hero later on and like having that son and work like having his son working with Oliver to try and redeem his son post redemption and kind of blaming the fact that he was a villain on the Mirakuru. I feel like kind of takes away some of like his best parts. Still think he's a great villain, great character. Um, Manu Bennett's a great actor, but that pulls him back on the list. But like, I think he stays on here for pure nostalgia and how good he was at the time before we had the whole Arrowverse he really kept me like he got me into the Arrowverse after Arrow season two. Um, my number four, uh, some people might think it's a bit low, but I put Reverse Flash as number four. Um, as of season two or season three of Flash, he probably would have been my number two or number one. However, after season five, season six, I feel like he's getting a little stale. He has potential to keep going, like to be like the reverse flash like the eobard thumb that destroys barry's life that you see in the comics that you see in like the animated movies and what i'm hoping we'll see in the live action movie but i feel like right now he's falling a little flat and i feel like part of that is because they're kind of relying on um him being a wells a little bit 
too much. I know they lost the actor and I, but I just feel like that was like damaging to the character. And I feel like if they can either get him in a new body or like differentiate him from the original Wells character, they can do a lot more with him. Yeah, Zane. And I'm pretty sure Tom Cavanaugh is going to be done soon. So I think yeah. you'll be seeing that anytime now. So I think, I don't remember reading that. Like, I don't know if it's this season or like soon, but I think he wants to move on just mm-hmm. amicably. And I, I like would totally respect that too. And I think like once that happens, they can also expand his power level, like really show how like into the negative speed force he is, how much he understands about like the fabric of the universe itself and how much he can manipulate it, not only to mess with Barry, but to mess with everything, like the whole grand scheme. Yeah. Like he could be on power level, like equivalent to the anti-monitor in crisis. Like if they gave him the full control over the speed force. And I think that'd be really interesting. Uh, my number three, which might come as a bit of a surprise to people, but my number three is Alice from Batwoman season one and hopefully like through season two. Um, I just thought like her, I feel like she kind of gives the vibes of like the Joker of the Arrowverse, but also like you don't think the Joker is redeemable under like any sense, but there's a bit of like me as a character that kind of wants her to like come back to like being Beth, not just being Alice, but um, I don't think that's actually going to happen. But the way that her character is portrayed is like, there's still that little bit of hope, you know, she might still be good, like inherently good, but none of her actions ever show that. And just like how calculated she is without like no powers, no like necessarily any like combat training. All she has is like, trauma and she's like i'm going to use this to fuel my rage and my hate for this city and my family forever and just based off that she's like on par with some of the best villains in the arrowverse um i think her stuff is way more psychological and i think that in season one they've shown her like not just like most villains like until you like get to the point where you beat them they seem invulnerable however Alice has shown that she's very vulnerable most of the time. Like psychologically, it was really easy for Kate to manipulate her just like it's easy for her to manipulate Kate and now Ryan. Um, So I think that's something interesting. Like she's very much a vulnerable villain. And I think that kind of pushes her up there on my list. My number two is Lex Luthor. Um, I think as a strategist, he's probably the best villain in the Arrowverse, and I think John Cryer's portrayal of him has been amazing. Probably my favorite portrayal of Alex Luthor ever, um, e- including some like one-off comic runs besides like the base one. Um, and I think just like him as like a behind-the-scenes manipulator in season four, like where you did not think like he was really involved at all, and all of a sudden Lex Luthor's the bad guy, um, but not in a way like Rhea in season uh, two where it's like, oh, all of a sudden she's here. It's like, no, this was Lex from the start. He has been the villain throughout this whole thing. And I think, like Zane mentioned, as an adversary to not just Supergirl, but like Superman before her, um, kind of like hypes up his credibility as a villain. And in uh, post-crisis, his ability to like kind of manipulate Brainy, even though like Brainy was trying to manipulate him, I think is really interesting. Um, Before I say my number one, I'm going to list off some honorable mentions. Um, I'm going to go Zoom from uh flash season two um he just doesn't have that same like um he's just kind of psycho and it's not the same like as reverse flash who's really like calculated and i think that's really good and zoom has like no redeemability like nothing necessarily to like like about him and that's what makes him a really good villain but there's a there's a ceiling on how good of a villain he can be because of that um also agent liberty uh 
from uh, Supergirl season four. Uh, Sam Witwer's just a really good actor and I really like him. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I think him as a villain is what cemented Supergirl as like a really good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really liked the Anti-Monitor in Crisis on Infinite Earths, simply for the power level of that. Like that yeah. was a real challenge. Like there was, there was doubt that they could win um, in Crisis. Uh, and then finally, honorable mention, uh, Grave Digger from Black Lightning season three, simply because I feel like his existence cements like the Black Lightning arc really well. Like it makes that universe make sense even outside of the Arrowverse. Um, and my number one, um, I don't think Zane will be surprised, is Prometheus, um, which is why I was shocked when it wasn't your number one, because I thought we agreed on this. Um, but his like psychological game with Oliver, like the most intense scene in the Arrowverse for me is when he captures Oliver Queen, tortures him to the point where he, he gets Oliver to admit that Oliver enjoyed killing people when he was on the island. Like where, and that's kind of like where his internal struggle has been. Like the, the whole scene where Stephen Amell is like, um, you know, I killed them and I liked it. Like, and then Prometheus is like, I broke you, I win. And like that whole, like that whole scene, I was like, oh crap. Like he, he beat Oliver. Like at least at one point he truly beat Oliver Queen, which does not happen much. Even if like Oliver gets physically defeated in the long run, Oliver doesn't get beat. In a way, Prometheus still won at the end of season five. So, and I think that's what makes him like a really good villain, even though like he wasn't irredeemable he, or he was, he was kind of irredeemable, but he, and was, but in a way he was undefeatable. Like once he got that confession out of Oliver, that was it. He won. He got what he wanted and he didn't, he didn't need to do anything else. Um, so normally here on Raving Geeks, we do some recommendations. Um, however, I'm going to limit that real quick just because we are running long for episode stuff. So Hope, <laughs> yes. number one recommendation for the week. The Witcher. The if you want to watch a Netflix show, The Witcher, if you want to read a book, read Lore by Alexandra Bracken. Nice. Zane, one recommendation for the week. Um, if you, I would recommend on Disney Plus, it is Cosmos by, and it is narrated by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It is science and digestible pieces that is good for anyone who just might want to see something about the universe that is a little deeper. Nice. Um, my number one, if you're a fan of The Office, also on Disney Plus, the ABC, the Muppet series. Um, it's just The Office with Muppets. Um, it's just kind of fun. Uh, it, like, it don't, I think it only had like one or two seasons, but it was still like enjoyable. So I, I enjoyed that. So um, thank you all for tuning in this week. I know this is kind of a longer episode, but uh, I was really excited about this topic. And I'm hoping uh, later we'll have some later episodes that get more in depth on some of the stuff we uh, touched on today. So uh, make sure you follow us on uh, social media, leave us comments on the episodes, uh, tell us your top five Arrowverse villains or any comments you have on our lists. Um, and as always, stay geeky and have a great weeky, everyone. I will talk to you next week. <laughs>